0: Let's avoid that,
1: right? <laughs> <laughs> Easier for me if there's less editing, but no, no, no big deal. <laughs> okay, hello everybody, and welcome back to the show. I'm your host Adam, and today we have a very special guest, Graziele. Is that did I get that right? Yes,
0: it's perfect. <laughs>
1: <laughs> perfect might be overselling, but I, I try. I try. <laughs> um, so, our guest this week is going to comsicon, Canada, just like me um not actually going we're we're attending from home, but uh yeah, uh, we're in the same boat, so I thought maybe we'd uh, chat with a couple of these uh attendees and uh get to know everyone um, so where do you go to school? you are a, a grad student yeah
0: yeah yeah i'm pretty, uh- Hi Adam, thank you for having me. And <laughs> I was just thinking that virtual going is the new kind of going, right? <laughs> so,
1: yeah, yeah, that's right. So attendance. <laughs> I'm going to my living room and sitting down, and <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> so yeah, hello everybody. My name is Gracieli. I'm a PhD candidate in ecology and evolution. I'm going. I currently work in the Université de Montréal here in Canada, but I'm also working at. Universidade Federal de Goiás, back in Brazil. Um, and my research, can I talk about my research now? Yes, please, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, my research is about uh, species interactions and how this, this plays a role in species distribution. So I'm super curious and um, understanding uh, how like uh, competition, predation, and things like that uh, delimit species distributions. Um, and But I do that without having to go to the field, because I do that as a theoretical ecologist. So I, I get to simulate virtual worlds in my computer and get species to fight <laughs> and to collaborate <laughs> and to test my ideas.
1: That's really cool. So actually, I was going to ask you about that. Um, I've spoken to some uh, researchers who do field work in that sort of area. Um, When it comes to theoretical stuff, you say you do a lot of computer modeling. Can you maybe give a very brief description of like what goes into a model or uh, what like a result looks like for you?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, It depends on your model, but there are a lot of things that you have to address when you build a model. Um, But basically you have to think of all the factors that can influence uh, your variables uh and all of that goes into your model as parameters so you have to think about that and you have to uh for example i simulate virtual species but i have to think about what is the growth rate of them that they have like three siblings or they have a thousand <laughs> uh how do they fight do what's the effect of one species on another do they kill uh every every puppets that, sure, yeah, <laughs> that yeah, yeah. are born, things like that. And the outcome is are pretty much <laughs> line graphs. <laughs>
1: okay.
0: So I get to understand how are the dynamics of the populations based on, uh, I get to see a graph with the number of individuals for species, for example, in a certain amount of time, in a time series, Things like that, or I can do a heat map, for example, uh, and then I can see the distribution of the most abundant species or less abundant.
1: Okay, so maybe um, maybe a misconception could be that like uh, when you do these sort of computer simulations, you're creating like almost like a video game type scenario where you get to watch these animals. But that's that's definitely not the case. It's more math based. You get a number out, you plot the. You'd have to have a, a great imagination to, to really draw the picture.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But sometimes it can feel like a video game when you do like immediate plots of heat maps uh-huh. and you can see one species is expanding and the other one contracting. Things. You get to see them moving, but uh-huh. not like a video game.
1: <laughs> okay. I've heard um, some models that I don't know if they like started off in ecology or if they started off in like economics or something, anything like that. But I've sometimes heard analogies between, uh, some like standard ecology models and like bidding wars or like, um, do you know what I'm talking about?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. A lot of models in ecology were born in economy or physics even. Okay. Uh, so, uh, like Darwin had that idea of competition and uh, the survival of the fittest, and what we now know as the uh, carrying capacity. Mm, okay. It was an idea born in in economy from Malthus that he said that we wouldn't have resources for everyone, so the population would reach a stable point.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So we use that a lot in ecology.
1: Okay. And as far as um, training goes for you um, to get to where you are now, I'm assuming lots and lots of math, applied math, uh, differential equations. You probably are very good at solving those.
0: (laughs) I wish I was. (laughs) I think the most important thing uh, for listeners who want to adventure in theoretical ecology is not to be afraid of math. Like, I was... I always liked math, but I was never that good. So I always have to go back to the books to relearn something. Uh, But we apply a lot of that in our models. And also, programming language is really Uh. important because you get to—it's really uh, flexible. You get to build the model the way you want, and uh, it—it addresses a really specific problem of reproducibility. So you can build a model that everyone can replicate.
1: Ah, okay. Interesting.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, I feel like um, when math becomes, like, applied to like a biological system or something like that, it's a little bit easier for, like, me to understand. I've never been good at, like, math for math's sake, but when it's, like, describing something that I can actually think about, then, then I like it.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Once you understand the basic stuff and... Like, I think that in nature, this will happen this way. And uh-huh. then you remember there is something in mathematics that can describe that. So... I heard,
1: I heard that's how Einstein liked to think about stuff. He would just draw a bunch of pictures and think about stuff qualitatively. And then after the fact, yeah. try to find the math to make it work. I don't yeah,
0: <laughs> that's what I'm doing. So I'm feeling good now. <laughs>
1: yeah, there you go. Um, so... Uh, you are uh, into all this research, but you're also apparently very much into science communication, hence going to ComSciComm Canada. Um, so has this always been something that you've been interested in or has the like communicating research um, been like a, a new focus for you? What What brings you to Sci-Com? Uh
0: That's actually a very long dream, <laughs> like, since I was a kid, because I was really, really lucky to have access to science communication in diverse media since I was really young, like, in magazines, TV shows, and newspapers, and I always, I was lucky to have a really inspiring family also, like, my sister, my older sister, was the first one to go to college, and so she brought a lot of new ways to think of research things Um, and then i remember as a kid dreaming of being a scientist in the morning and a science communicator in the afternoon even though i didn't know this was a thing (laughs) so i wanted to go to a magazine and write texts about science
1: (laughs) well there you go that that seems like the split that you've uh, you've attained at this point
0: (laughs) yeah right now it's pretty much only research (laughs) yeah I have uh, some time to science communication, but I hope one day I will have
1: mm-hmm. the morning
0: for science and the afternoon for science communication.
1: Did you, was there ever like a, a very uh, important TV show or magazine, like one that sticks out in your mind as being very inspirational?
0: Yeah. Well, I, I remember I was addicted to Big Man's World. I don't know if everybody knows that, but in Brazil it's quite popular.
1: Okay. And... I don't think I've heard of that one.
0: Yeah, it's a med scientist, and he has a green, uh, green suit, and there's a big rat as a, as a human rat. Okay, <laughs> it's really crazy, and I know uh, that they tried to make the show for kids, but also actually uh, a lot of adults, adults uh, were interested in the show. So the main public of the show was, were adults.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Yeah. And we also had, in Brazil, we had a couple of science communication magazines. Uh, super interessante.
1: Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, <laughs> that's one of those things that I kind of like to ask people. It seems people coming from different cultures, there's different amounts of like science media. It seems like Europe is very steeped in, you know, Accessible science, especially France, they seem very passionate about it. Ontario, not so much, especially compared to Quebec. Quebec seems like they, it's, it's very big for them. Um, was that big for you growing up? Was like everybody into something science-based or was science very accessible for you? Or was that something you had to go out of your way to find? Uh,
0: for me, it was... Quite easy, but it's I know I was really privileged okay. as like growing up. Uh, we had a in Brazil we have a public channel TV channel that had a lot of educational prog- programs th- TV shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for me it was quite easy to have access to them. But uh, museums, it depends because I lived in a lot of cities in Brazil. Depending on where I lived. It was more easier or difficult, right. um, but I know uh, we have a lot of problems with that in Brazil because we are a really big country and the museums, the science centers are really clustered in the cities, so it's hard for a kid from the from the banlieue, <laughs> from the the most uh, far parts of the city to access the museums, the city centers. Mm, okay. Uh, so there are a lot of, actually now we have a lot of science communication uh, projects that try to bring those science centers to these more uh, far communities. So okay, that's really important. Yeah.
1: I feel like Canada is somewhat similar to that too with like Northern Ontario. There's always these uh, initiatives to uh, be more inclusive of the more Northern provinces and stuff. That's a, mm. that's a tough problem.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> um, right. So uh, as far as this conference goes, um, have you been to any conferences like this before or is this a first?
0: Um, not really. I was once selected to go to a camp uh, in Brazil, uh, it was promoted by an institution called Serra Pelera. Uh, they selected about I think 50 or 40 projects, science communication projects to go to this camp to have uh, two, three days of training and to get to know each other, and then they would be uh, they will be able to submit a proposal to get a finance,
1: mm-hmm.
0: to, to get funding to to the projects. Uh, so, it was a really interesting uh opportunity, but other than that i don 't think I went to a conference of science communication okay more uh satellite events in academic conference things like that
1: ah okay um yeah so it's it's pretty exciting that they're putting this sort of thing on i i've only very recently started to to see these things popping up um applying for this and going for this uh, conference is there anything in particular you're hoping to get out of it or hoping to learn um from these these uh workshops
0: sure uh, i thought it was a really interesting idea to have this conference uh and especially because it's in at grad students and made by grad students and everything uh myself i co-lead a training project in science communication so i i always I'm always curious to get to know how people do those trainings and to get new ideas and to learn new things because I'm, I was never formally trained in science communication. So I I feel like I need these trainings as much as possible, as much as I can get. Um, and because the project that I co-lead along with Dr. Maria Leticia Bonatelli, back in Brazil too. Um, it's a collaborative project, so I, get, I hope to get contributors in this conference to me. People are interested in having a satellite uh, version of the project in their own cities and to expand.
1: Okay, so tell me about this project. This is, this is not your, your, your research project. This is a, another communication-based project.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that was something that was born in the halls of the university, because I was always uh, doing a, a little blog post here, Twitter there, science communication, and people like, how can you do that? Like, <laughs> we were never trained to do this. And I was, I'm so shy, I don't know where to start. And I was like, I just started to do. <laughs> and I got a uh, really supportive people that helped me with feedback. So I thought that maybe what was missing was a space for people to get confidence to try new things and to get the people that already know how to do it to teach and to uh, to, to try to get these people that are shy to try new things.
1: Yeah, sort of a mentorship type of, type of yes. thing. Yes.
0: Yes, perfect. That's it. So this idea was born, uh, how to make a collaborative training in science communication. And then I applied to Mozilla Open Leaders to develop this project. So it's a mentoring program of, I think it's 12, 15 weeks, where we develop the project until a minimum viable product.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: and after that, I got the funding from Mozilla too to have uh, in-person training. So last year was really productive. We had about four trainings, I think, five in person. And it's really, really fun because it's really unconventional. It's quite a um, unconference, have you heard of it?
1: Unconference? Yes. It, it's- um, I think I've seen that as like a hashtag floating around. I I just assumed it was any translation from in-person conference to virtual conference but that sounds like i'm wrong
0: (laughs) yeah like an unconference is almost a conference uh reverted where participants are the main responsible for the for the content of the conference so the way that the training goes is that we get we the the instructors uh give low input of content but we Uh, We have a lot of uh, hands-on activities, so participants discover their own potential
1: in science Uh, communication. Okay, that's awesome. And uh, and you've run some of these already?
0: Yes (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Last year we had a a lot Uh, Uh We had different formats, too. We had the first one was five days morning and afternoon was really extenuating and Mm -hmm. Last, just this week, we had the first online training. It was
1: ah okay. I was gonna ask about that. How how was that?
0: Yeah, it was a challenge because we we spent the whole day doing a lot of activities. We go, uh, we walk around, we build things with our own hands, and doing that online was like, mm, will that work?
1: <laughs> right, right.
0: But it turned out it worked because we focus more on blog posts and Twitter and the basics of science communication. Mm -hmm. So we get people in breakout rooms in Zoom for them to discuss things and to write things on Etherpads. So it it works. It worked.
1: Awesome. (laughs) Yeah, that's something that I've been very interested in um, since all of this um, stay-at-home business. Uh, Basically how conferences are getting translated to virtual. Um, so it sounds like you you used Zoom for certain aspects of it. Um, did you use any other software or um, programs that you would recommend or that seemed useful?
0: For conferences, for trainings?
1: Uh, yeah, anything that uh, you use that might be useful um, for you know getting people together and, and putting stuff mm. on
0: yeah that's hard because it depends a lot of of what people are familiar with and
1: okay
0: yeah so right now i'm using pretty much everything is in zoom
1: okay Uh, i guess the the major barrier is just to have people willing to get on the platform and, and yeah my my experience has been it most of these programs work it's just like opti- like finding the the best possible one isn't really the problem. It's mostly just get get everybody in a place and it'll it'll work out.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, sometimes I re- I'm a bit concerned about privacy in Zoom, but
1: uh-huh.
0: well, <laughs> we can get everything right. <laughs> There's yeah. uh, this other platform that I saw that I used once. It's called Whereby. Okay. I don't know if it's better in privacy than Zoom, but it works quite well
1: too. Yeah, I feel like as far as I'm concerned, the stuff that I do is not very uh, secret or private. So (laughs) if somebody wants to drop in and listen, uh, I (laughs) don't (laughs) know. Yeah. Uh, Right, so another aspect of this conference, it actually sounds like this is something that uh, your workshops would have also done, but uh, there's a -a write-a-thon aspect How's that coming? Have you, have you managed to get your draft ready?
0: Uh, quite. Uh, it, okay. It's in the pre-draft phase.
1: <laughs> Does that mean all up here? or? <laughs>
0: yes, yes. I'm trying to build the story up here.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: And I know what I want to say, the aspect, the theme, but I need to do a little bit of research. Mm-hmm. And I think this is probably the first time I've tried to do science communication in English in another language that is not portuguese
1: ah okay so yeah
0: it's quite challenging
1: yeah i, I can imagine <laughs> it's <laughs> like science communication within one language is sort of a translation problem unto itself and now you're putting yes. like, several layers on it
0: yeah uh, but that, that was quite of one of my goals for this year was to expand my science communication in to other languages, so I applied also to soapbox science here mm-hmm. in Canada. So I could try to do that in. I did in Portuguese last year, and I was okay. I have I have to expand and try new things and to uh-huh. have new challenge. So try that.
1: Wow, <laughs> I can't imagine. I'm trying to teach myself French um, because I feel like it's my my duty, being a Canadian, to know a little bit of French and boy that that's that sounds tough
0: (laughs) yes we should study together because i studied french for seven years now and i can't have Ah. a conversation in french
1: (laughs) i feel like if i can read stuff off of like a a website or you know out of a book that i'm I'm doing all right i can't do that yet but (laughs) that's the goal (laughs) yeah um Actually, the the fact that you have other languages that you have access to, is there? Do you think there are avenues for you to get into like translation? Like, um, is that something you've looked into for yourself as like a, a a job or something you could offer?
0: Yeah, yeah, I did that for a while for echography, but it didn't turn out uh, as expected. Okay. I don't know. I I. I don't think people are really interested in doing this, but it's sure something that I would do. Okay. And I think it's important. Uh, For example, in ecography, there are a lot of uh, Brazilian researchers that published there. And I feel like it would be really, really useful to have those blog posts uh, or lay summaries in Portuguese for people that have a lot of difficulties in in English, mm-hmm. which is a, a lot of people in Brazil.
1: Sure, yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's so many resources available to English speakers. Um,
0: yes. <laughs> this is one of aspects of science that people are, tra- at, are beginning to acknowledge that people that are not native to English already start a step back in science because they have to learn, they have to try to write in English, and there are always a reviewer that <laughs> rejects the paper and asks for, for example, to ask a native English speaker to be a co-author, and that's terrible. Yeah.
1: So, yeah. Yeah. That should. Um, that's. That's tough. That's. Uh, <laughs> I definitely benefit from being able to read all these English things. I, it really does seem unfair that uh, other other people have to translate into my language. I don't know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) you will be like that the whole day, like. "Mm."
1: Yeah. Yeah,
0: there's these barriers in science. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I'm trying to think, like, would I end up in science if I had to learn another language to partake? I. I was never really one for languages, so I probably wouldn't end up in science. That's that's a weird thought. Yeah. That's something that everybody needs to think about.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, I, 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 maybe I was privileged to get to get involved in Mozilla community since a couple of years now, uh-huh. uh, but they talk about that all the time. There are a lot of projects trying to assess that, how to be more inclusive in, for example, peer review. Right. Uh, the people from the pre review project, which is a platform for reviewing pre preprints <laughs> uh-huh. they try to address that a lot how to be more inclusive in uh, in the review process and how to get more people from other languages to uh to be included in the in the scientific in the academic publication process
1: yeah, I wonder if I mean, since journals need to be profitable, apparently, uh, in a world where that wasn't the case, I wonder if there would be, uh, like, if they could have some translators hired on as, like, a when a draft is submitted, they can go through and and sort of pick through the obvious grammar and and stuff before reviewers see it, because that's certainly going to bias reviewers if they have yeah. to if they have to interpret it for themselves. Hmm. That's yeah. That's That's a big problem with academia.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, I mean, there are a lot of problems connected to that. Uh For example, sometimes your English in the paper is perfect, but if your name says that you're not from the United States, the review may be like, "Mm, your English is not perfect. You shouldn't use, if you Uh use that word, you're not an English native speaker, so you should try to have a review on that. Um, There are a lot of cases that I've heard of from that.
1: Oh, that's horrible.
0: Yeah, and the other problem is money because to to afford someone to review your English, it's really expensive in Brazil, for example. Mm -hmm. And the fees to publish are (laughs) really high. It can get like three months of a grad student salary in Brazil, so.
1: Oh, that's, that's brutal. Yeah. I wonder if like, uh, so I'm a part of the, the American Physical Society. That's like the overarching research society that most physicists are a part of. I wonder if these sort of societies have like grants or bursaries or whatever for um, just quick translations, if that's something that they would look into doing, because, yeah, it's really unfair that anybody who, you know, wasn't born speaking English would have to, you know, foot that bill.
0: Yeah, that that's a great idea, like to have a society, a small grant for that, that would be good.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I should ask around and maybe look into that. I'm sure some group has already figured out that to some extent. They might be a smaller group or something, but that's interesting. Yeah, I hope so. um anyway can i pick your brain a little bit about what your write-a-thon topic is or or do you want to keep it private until
0: (laughs) no sure maybe if i make a public commitment (laughs) yeah (laughs) 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 so uh i've been uh trying to play around a little bit with uh product design in the last couple of months um because i've always been interested in that since i was a kid with the art class <laughs> okay and and now i have a friend that he's a a, a woodworker he he does um, furniture in wood so we are playing with that like to concept new and different uh furniture so i had an idea of trying to maybe connect ecology and types of wood and oh okay yeah And the last few days I was researching about different schools of interior design. So we have like the Scandinavian design and the Irish design. They have different kinds of wood that are prevalent. So in Irish design, they have more dark wood and the Scandinavian more uh, light, clear, like a light tone of uh, brown.
1: Yeah, people seem to love that. That teak look or whatever it is that's Scandinavian. Yeah.
0: yeah. So I was wondering uh if there's something in ecology that could explain that, or is if it's just cultural.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, if it's like born from this is the wood that we have like native to our area, or is it like a an aesthetic? Yeah. Huh.
0: <laughs> I would love to read that. <laughs> And also there's the aspect of the the cost of the wood. For example, in Brazil, we have a lot of uh, wood that's more hard and more dark. (laughs) It's cheaper for us, but to build the same furniture here, it would be super expensive.
1: Right, okay.
0: Maybe I'll try to address that.
1: Yeah, that would be interesting. Um, When you're writing it, have you thought about like... um, what your audience, like your, your ideal audience would be for this? Like, is this, are you hoping to make this something that like a general public would read or for more like a science science sciencey type, um, audience? Do you, do you have a plan for that?
0: Yeah. I never try to address everyone. Uh, for now I was thinking more of a millennial (laughs) crew, people that are interested in design and, um, that. That has Pinterest in their phones. <laughs> ah yes, okay.
1: Cool. That sounds fun. Um, so that's kind of the uh, the extent of the questions that I had prepared more or less. Um, anything you want to sort of shout out or, or talk about or advertise before uh, before I let you go? Uh, sure. Uh,
0: in Brazil, we have a lot of sites. Psych- Commerce, (laughs) have a a good science communication community. Uh, I have a list on GitHub if anyone is interested in what's going on in science communication in Brazil.
1: Oh, if you could share that with me on Twitter, that would be awesome. And I can attach that to this.
0: Good. Uh, It's really interesting because people are trying new things. There are people that are getting together as a kind of society to. to filter what's good science channels in on YouTube, for example, the Science Blogs in Brazil. Okay. So yeah, I'm I'm really proud of the community back in Brazil because they are awesome. They they have a a great history. There, uh, for example, the Science Blogs. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the same people that run the Science Blogs now. They are active for more than ten years now, and they're they're just awesome
1: <laughs> great yeah i'd love to uh to check that out and also if uh if you can give me any sort of more information or links or to to your project i would love to check that out too sure <laughs> are you preparing a poster for the conference
0: uh no not this time
1: ah, okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah. cool well thanks so much it was great meeting you
0: yeah thank you adam great to meet you
1: too <laughs> yeah i can't wait to read your work and uh I mean, we'll see you uh, in virtual Toronto, I guess.
0: Yes, <laughs> virtual Toronto.
1: <laughs> cool. Okay. And w- would you mind if I contacted you after the fact or after the conference to do a little debriefing? Would that be? No, no.
0: sure. Cool.
1: Awesome. Well, thanks again. It was a. Uh, it's great having you.
0: Thank you. Thank you, everyone, listening. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. Have a good day.
0: Bye. You too.